Is Lewis Hamilton a spent force in Formula One? A truly divisive and emotive subject in the sport right now, but today we're going to debate this topic and hopefully bring you an answer. Hello everybody and welcome back to Formula One Grid Talk. This is episode 201. My name is Tom Horrocks and today on F1 Firesides, debating Sir Lewis Hamilton's season, we have Jawad Yakub from Hit the Apex. Hello everybody. And Tom Downey from Everything F1. Hello all. If you're enjoying these episodes, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, as this really helps us climb the rankings, and we will attempt to give you a shout-out on the next show if you leave us a good enough review. As well as these fireside chats, we do live previews and reviews of every race weekend, which are on YouTube and on all major audio platforms too. Just search for F1 Chronicle or go to f1chronicle.com to find out more. Make sure you subscribe and click the bell on YouTube so you know when we are live, so you can join in with the chat as and when it happens. So the subject of today is Lewis Hamilton. After Monaco, he lies sixth in the standings with just 50 points, 34 behind his teammate George Russell and only two points clear of Lando Norris. Definitely a uh, a bit of a surprise to some. So guys, initial thoughts without giving away anything. Uh, how would you rate Lewis Hamilton's season so far out of 10? And what would you say has been his best and worst moment so far? I'd say Hamilton is on a five out of 10 this season. Mm-hmm. His best moment was his result in Spain. I'd say his worst moment was going out in Q1 in Saudi. Yeah, that definitely stands out, as I'm sure we'll get into. Jared, your thoughts? Yeah, I'm probably going to give a 5 or 6 out of 10 as well. For me, his worst moment this season so far was the entire Imola weekend. It was pretty much, it started nowhere, went nowhere. And then just all the news and stuff around it as well about Mercedes and and their issues this season. Mm -hmm. And then for me, the best moment was also Spain where he came back from that first lap incident and ended up... uh, finishing with the race pace similar to the leaders. So that was um, probably the highlight so far of his season of mine. Yeah, I can't really debate any of those points. Definitely, it's it's been one of those one of those seasons, certainly to forget in some sections and uh, just kind of seems to be riddled with bad luck and, uh, and excuses at the moment. But certainly what looked like it would have been on paper is the best result of the season for him was the Bahrain weekend, race one, where he qualified fifth and in the race finished third. 15 points from the race. Good start to the season in hindsight. Uh, or was it lucky for the for the Red Bull failures? What's your thoughts, guys? I think that definitely had an element to play. Because, I mean, yeah, he, he had a decent quality. And the Bahrain track seemed to somewhat suit his Mercedes to a point. Or, or maybe it's just because the other teams hadn't made as many, um, as many advancements with their car development. But like you said, Tom, he, he had a good qualifying session. Well, it goes to show where Hamilton and Mercedes are that we're talking about fifth being a good qualifying session. But that was a podium by chance more than by overtake. But also in F1, you know, you dealt the hands you're given. You know, he was still somewhat up there. But I think if both the balls would have finished, I think if if their engines wouldn't have wouldn't have given up, he'd have been probably 25 seconds behind them I'd say if not more yeah I, I can't I can't really disagree with that I think that I think at that point the Mercedes was clearly the third fastest car so fifth place was pretty much a pole position for for Lewis Hamilton for where he is in the same way that say like 17th would be a pole position for Mick Schumacher for example so but yeah Jared, what what's your thoughts 
Yeah, it was pretty much flattered by lack of performance from others that weekend. Uh, George, of course, first weekend for him in the car, in a race weekend in that particular car. So, you know, he's probably just getting used to the systems and whatnot as well. And we've seen him later on in the season comprehensive in qualifying and then yeah the red bull dnfs you know who would have scripted that for the first race towards the end of the race too so fifth would have been the best that lewis would have done in that race if it wasn't for those dnfs i also feel like you know if we had uh, mclaren on form in that race as well or lando norris in particular he could have been up there there or thereabouts similar to where hamilton and mercedes are but you know like you said, you know, you get dealt the hand <laughs> um, or whatever. So, yeah, he lucked into that result. And that's all we can say about Bahrain. Well, yeah, he certainly seemed to have the measure of his uh, of his new teammate, George Russell, in that race. With George Russell only qualifying back in ninth, but then in the race, finishing just behind Hamilton. So uh, certainly some signs of promise for George there. But uh, certainly what seemed to be... You know, that hasn't happened very often this season, Lewis Hamilton finishing ahead of George Russell. And and that was certainly the case in Saudi Arabia when Hamilton was out in Q1. His only reprise was that he started 15th instead of his lowly 16th qualifying position. But recovering to 10th place, never in clear air, was that justification for his bad race position or was it just a terrible race? Well, he did have a great stint on the hard tyre, 41 laps he did. And it would have looked like a top, seven finish potentially behind George albeit but if it wasn't for the pit entry closing he seems to have this thing where he always falls either side of the pit entry closing and whatnot like we saw Monza a few years ago so falling afoul of that Daniel Ricciardo I think brought that one out you know if it wasn't for that then that strategy would have paid off and he would have finished you know easily in the top seven behind Russell so you know bad luck as it were comes comes back into play but then he gave himself all the work to do with that poor qualifying performance as well on the Sunday yeah, and I mean, I don't think you, I don't for one second think that he wasn't aware that 10th place paid at one point, but that radio message at the end quite pointed. Do you even get a point for that? You know, potentially aim towards the team. Um, I, I mean, at this point, is he, we don't know what his mindset's like after qualifying so low uh, and then, and then you know, com- coming back in the race to a degree, but missing out on with, with that, just trying to get that rub of the green, that little bit of luck to get that, uh, that safety car at the right time. But it's certainly, they certainly haven't favoured him certainly in the last year, have they, Tom? Uh, no. Halton for, for a while has had, it does seem to have had some elements of luck in his career, but uh, you could also argue that you make your own luck. And sometimes you get the luck, sometimes the luck goes against you. Just ask Charles Leclerc in Monaco. So that seems to always go against him at the minute, bless him. Yeah, he's a... Uh, you know, if, if we think about his whole... Does 10th place, place get you a, a point? He obviously knows the answer to that. He's not stupid, Hampton. He's a bright individual. You can tell by the way he, he talks. He was probably more... It's probably more a case that he was frustrated at the situation that he's gone from being so long at the top because Mercedes from from 2013 they started challenging Red Bull you know and, and then midway through the season they put all their focus on 2014 to go from there and you know from so many titles and race wins and pull, you know all the records he's set and broken and all the rest of it over the last what, seven, eight years, to have a new regulation change. And after what he went through last year with that, like, with, with that no-holds-barred fight with Verstappen for the title, to go from that to sort of coming crashing down to earth, being like, oh, hang on a minute, 
we're not at the top anymore. And all of a sudden, you're not hearing his name much on TV anymore. You're not seeing Toto Wolf interviewed as much anymore. It's been a bit of a sort of come down to a throw a bang for Hamilton, I think, because he's been riding this wave of incredible results. Don't get me wrong, I'm not taking anything away from that. But I think he was more annoyed at the team. But also, it's not the team's fault that he can't get a handle on the car because George Russell's got the same machinery. And Russell's the only driver to finish in the top five in every single race. So... Yeah, we certainly the numbers don't don't lie in in that sense. And uh, although there is, as I'm sure we'll get to with the races later on, uh, an element of fortune to that in some cases. He's definitely Monaco, for example, was an absolutely phenomenal weekend for George. So it's interesting. You think? Do you feel then, Tom? There's there's a bit of a hangover potentially from that fight from last year that you know we often see certainly in football when you see teams that just missed out on promotion end up having issues the following season. And do you think that's that's a similar thing with, with Hamilton this year? I don't think that's the only thing but I think we saw how defeated Hamilton was last year and uh, you know people listening to this will know I'm a Max fan obviously but for Hamilton to lose the title in the way that he did last year on the last lap of the last race after he'd done such a fight back you know I don't want to go over all ground because it's been six seven months now five six whatever it's been half a year <laughs> you know he looked utterly defeated last year and I and I'm, I'm not trying to make a really really like Larky attempted a pun there, that he looked just drained and he sounded sort of like defeated. The last time I saw him anywhere like that was when Rosberg retired or beat him in 2016. And Hamilton then obviously bounced back and you know, he, had, he had Bottas and all the rest of it for a number of years. I do wonder if there is an element of, of a hangover, you know, or sort of like or sort of like tiredness or sort of what he went through last season and he's been in the sport for so long. I wonder if perhaps last season he knew that that was his last chance to get that eighth title and, you know, sets all the, you know, beats the, you know, beat the one record which has yet to be beaten because obviously he's equal to Schumacher but he hasn't beaten him for titles. It's the only thing. And then maybe he was thinking, oh, if I wouldn't have gone in the gravel in 07 or if my engine wouldn't have gone bang in Malaysia in 2016, you know, lots of what is, what if he got another title and say 2012 with McLaren when he had a good season but his car was naff or what the the reliability, sorry, was naff. So I wonder if there were lots of things going through his mind and he's got so many off-track Activities now, you know, you know, he's he's a very prominent figure for areas of diversity and inclusion, and he's you know, he's working with Mercedes and Petronas and you know a lot of other sponsors and companies and all the rest of it. I wonder if his, you know, I wonder if his mind is beginning to go elsewhere because he's not young. Well, you know, he is, but he's not young in, a, in an F1 driver sense. It's like the F1 grid is turning into kindergarten now. And Hamilton is, you know, he's going to have to have a DBS check soon to be on the grid. Um, <laughs> you know, for, for, for any of our non-UK listeners, a DBS check is, is, a, is a background check to make sure that you're allowed to work with children. That, that was a UK joke. Um, <laughs> you know, so uh, maybe there is an element of that. I, I don't know. It's hard to say what's going on inside his head. And when he pulls that visor down, anything could happen. Yeah, I think he was expecting bigger things this season. All the talk throughout the season was how Red Bull were overspending and that they weren't going to have a, a car for next season because they were focusing too much on on two, on 2021. And then when they rock up with this zero pod concept and everyone's saying Hamilton's going to cruise to an eighth title, and then in reality, you know, they're at best the third best car and sometimes worse than that. I think that's, especially as you say, with the way his head dropped at the end of the season, that that's enough to knock the stuffing out of anyone. I don't care who you are. Uh, whereas George Russell coming from a team where you know scoring points is uh, is like a victory, and and then and then coming into uh, coming into the season in, in a more competitive car, 
despite it being a difficult car to drive, he's obviously going to be on the on the ascendancy. Moving on to to the Australian Grand Prix, he seemed to have a bit of a reprieve here. And qualified fifth, finished fourth. Again, unlucky with a safety car. But how close was he in reality to to the limit of the car? And um, was this kind of the, the, a start of a change for him, or or was it just very much more of the same? Well, I was able to see how the cars were behaving firsthand that weekend and, you know, I've never seen Hamilton struggle as much as I did on that particular weekend, particularly with the porpoising, you know, just not being able to cruise through the corners as smoothly as he has been able to in the past. It was a bit of a shock, you know, when coming into qualifying you hear the records and realise that the last eight pole positions before this year were in Hamilton's favour, not that he was able to convert all of them into wins. I think he only had one win in that time for Mercedes back in 2015. But, yeah, you know, it, it was a stark contrast indeed, but still one of his better results this season. This was the time I think we heard him on the radio uh, rather frustrated with his teammate as well about the safety car and his George ahead and all that. And then, of course, George goes on to finish on the podium for the first time for Mercedes as well in that race. So, you know, elements of frustration there, but overall a good weekend when you look at the expectations of Mercedes that we've kind of had to temper for this season. But yeah, you know, again, he'll be feeling all those things like we were talking about earlier. And then to have another safety car uh, situation kind of fall for him to fall on the wrong side of that, it just adds fuel to that fire. You know, I know in my head, I'd be, you know, letting these things build up and be like, you know, the world's against me kind of thing. He would see that in that respect and get get a bit agitated. It was also the first weekend as well that this whole jewelry ban and the thing about underwear and all that got brought up by the stewards as well in the in the race director's event notes. So wonder if that was, you know, starting to get into his head as well as a bit of a distraction. I think that particular weekend when we found out, I thought it was a bit of a joke, to be honest. But, you know, we know Hamilton, how he is quite open and, uh, you know, very his image wise and everything, you know, he loves his jewelry and stuff. Can't blame him. Yeah, well, whether that was starting to weigh on his mind too. So, yeah, I'm glad that that's kind of died a bit of a death over the last last few weeks because there was talk about he wouldn't be allowed to race in Monaco because of yeah. this jewelry, and it's something that I'm just not really interested in as 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 something. I think. When it comes to that kind of thing, yes, you know you're entitled to do what you want with with your body, but it's the rules of the sport. Just just take it out or or get it removed. You know, it, does does it really mean that much to you? I can understand it if it was. I mean, it may well be. We don't know, but if it was something that was put on his body because of uh, like a a, re- a reminder of a loved one or something that means something special to him, then I understand that. But from what I understand, it's just a fashion thing. So just get rid of mm. it. I just don't understand what the issue is. You want to play in Formula One, then you know you got to abide by the rules. So. Uh, I'm just so over it as a subject and um, I won't stand there and, and defend him or if Vettel wants to wear his gap pants, then, you know, then I, I again, yeah. I don't care. Just don't wear them. It's, it's it's not in the rules, but that's not why we're, what we're here to discuss. But it certainly is something that may well have uh, have weighed on his mind. And if it does, is, is that really where his focus should be, Tom? Is this kind of part of the reason why he's 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 lost focus this year? I mean, you know, I'm trying not to get in, into this whole uh, into the whole jewelry thing because you know because that was uh, some, some joke quite not, well like you said Tom you, 
you know, if you want to play in a friend, you've got to abide by the rules. End story. And Mercedes last year were pushing for all the rules to be enforced, all the rest of it. So this is what it is. And it's, it's not a vendetta, it's a safety thing. But aside, aside from all that, you know, the, you know, over the last sort of three or four years, we have sort of seen more and more off-track distractions for, for Hamilton. And he's, I think he could sort of get away with it in the previous years because he never really had anyone who was going to be really challenging him for the title. I mean, I know that there was a bit of an attempt from Ferrari in 2018 and 2019, and the odd race win was under threat from you know, one of the one of the Red Bulls or from one of the Ferraris, or you know, you know, there was the odd driver here or there, sort of looking for a, for a race win. But for a long time, it was going to be right. Hamilton's going to qualify on pole. He's going to get a good start. Bottas is going to drop to the order and Hamilton's going to sit up front and he in fact, he, it was almost like he had time to think about other things but last season obviously we, we saw him have, you know, have to be mentally engaged for the entire season and he was and I think when the season started last season we could you know you could see that he was like oh heck I'm really going to have to battle tooth and nail for, for this championship and ultimately and you know, ultimately, it obviously didn't quite happen. So, did, I, th- I think, I think the jury, th- the whole jury thing, and all that—if that would have happened a few seasons ago—I don't think it would have affected. It would have affected him that much. But now, now that he's not able to get on top of the car, um, or doesn't appear to be able to get on top of the car, Mercedes put out that post a few weeks ago. I think it was about a month ago, um, maybe even longer than that. Now, where there's a picture of George and Hamilton. Um, pouting outside the factory, um, and and Mercedes Captain just something along the lines of you know we'll be back soon or we're working on things because Hamilton hadn't had some hadn't had very good results by that point, and I kind of thought to myself and I think a few people on on the Slack uh, mentioned it that it's like well hang on a minute you're ignoring all the good results George has had because George had already had at least one podium by that point if not two I can't remember if this came up before Australia or not um, and I kind of thought to myself. Doing you're doing your other driver a bit of a disservice, you know. Just because Hamilton can't get on with the car doesn't mean that it's a whole Mercedes thing. So, and then the whole thing in um, in Spain at the start of the race when he was saying, "Oh, we should retire the car," um, you know, he was saying, "Oh, you know, bring in all the rest of it." That's going to be quite demoralising for his team to hear that, you know, they're for want of a better phrase, star driver. You know, their main man. You know. Lewis Hamilton, one, you know, when you think of F1, you think of big names, Schumacher, Senna, McLaren, Williams, Ferrari, Hamilton. He's one of those names. He's just associated with F1. Even if you don't know F1, you know Lewis Hamilton. He's, he's like Ronaldo or Messi of football. So for, for them for them to hear that, that must have been pretty demoralizing. You know, thinking, you know, we've, you know, they've got all the people back at the factory who he's thanked so many times when he won races. You know, to, to hear that he's sort of just, just like, oh, well, you know, you know, cars away, dash. Let's retire it. There's no point. I'm not going to get any point. You know, very sort of negative, very, very sort of like, just just sort of like down. And, and it's like, I, I get where he was coming from. But if you go in with that attitude, with that sort of defeated attitude, it's not going to help anybody else. And it's not going to help your own mental state and your own mental preparations for, for upcoming races. And how is he going to win another championship if he's thinking, oh, I can't win, I can't do this? 
Yeah, I, I completely get where you're coming from with that. I just think we do need to be very careful with with these radio broadcasts because they do they do very much follow a narrative, and and we we don't hear everything, and and sometimes we hear things different. The 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 biggest thing that made me really question this this narrative that they put out with these with these radio messages was Abu Dhabi last year. Without trying to you know go over everything as we said already, but the moment when the safety car came out and all you heard was this five second long bleep from Lewis Hamilton's radio. Um, and in reality, it was a very calm message to Hamilton. Hamilton said the S word, and then that was it. And I think he said man at the end of it. And it's just it's just such a contrived attempt to create this this view. And I'm not saying it's a witch hunt against Hamilton, because it isn't. I'm just giving a, a contrary point. And, and to, to, to your point you made about about the demoralization of, of the team and, and retiring the car. Again, I listened back to that, the first few laps of the, of the race from Hamilton's perspective on the onboard. And, um, and yeah, it, it was, it was difficult to hear him say that, uh, from a, you know, a self, uh, admitting Lewis Hamilton fan here. It was difficult to hear him say that, but in the past we've heard him trying to get as many, as much advantage as possible in certain situations and thinking given that a few, only a few races earlier, he'd spent an entire race in Saudi Arabia trying to get past cars and was not able to do so because the car was so bad and fearing that he had damage to the car. Was it going to be another race where he sits at the back, not doing anything? And would that car be better served later in the season, having a fresher engine? I think that's him trying to find an advantage, but it's still difficult to hear from that from that perspective so I, I fully understand that as well um I, I think it's come a bit from the right place and a bit from the wrong place but as soon as as soon as Bono said nope we're on for points here we've got a plan he said hey firm and then got his head down straight away was setting laps half a second quicker than George Russell for pretty much the rest of the race and was managing temperatures as well uh he was every every other lap it was need need more need more lift and coast need more lift and coast so he was obviously battling temperature issues in that car for the whole race as well so but I'm sure we'll, we'll get on to that but yes it's uh, I, I completely agree in a lot of ways as well but from like the um from the Australian Grand Prix which was a fairly positive result we head to as you've said was potentially one of his worst moments of the season Imola qualified 13th and then with the sprint race, you thought this was a good opportunity for him to move forward in the race. Finished the sprint way back in 14th. And then uh, and the race, again, only managed to make the one position to finish in 13th. Were there any positives from this from this weekend? Uh, couldn't really find any, to be honest. Um, <laughs> he pretty much lingered in P13 for majority of the race. He was stuck behind Pierre Gasly again. And... You know, compared to the way I see it is I compare it to last year where he was a lap down. I, of course, he was held back onto the lead lap by the safety car, but was was able to just sigh through the field and came back for what could have been an unlikely podium finish at the end. You know, 12 months on or whatever, he is unable to break into the top 10. Yes, he was hurt by um, Esteban Ocon having an unsafe release in the pits as well when they had did the pit stop. But, you know, we've seen Hamilton in the past, you know, even when the Mercedes car has not been the best setup for overtaking, that he can just, you know, make overtaking look easy it's like he's playing the f1 game with like zero percent difficulty on the ai you know he just manages to get from the back to the front but he just couldn't do it he couldn't pass an alpha tower in this situation and ended up finishing the race a lap down 
It didn't help either that there was a lot being said about Mercedes this weekend as well, about, um, you know, is it is it time to hit the panic button? Are they going to, you know, ride off this season and, and you know, look to focus their development on next season? Because obviously it's difficult now for these bigger teams who are used to spending money to and, and development resources to get themselves out of these situations. But with the budget cap and then also the limitation on, on CFD and, and wind tunnel testing, time and whatnot they they can't just have these quick fixes there they've got to be smart about it so and then for that footage to also emerge of uh, of Hamilton and Toto Wolf in the garage after qualifying looking like that they're very animated and having a go at each other that's another thing you know when when you're talking about the broadcast kind of weaving this narrative it, it kind of just exacerbated the situation a little bit and we also heard Hamilton compare this season to, to 2009 as well which is probably the worst season he's had um, other than this season in his entire career. But even when you look at that 2009 season, he he was still able to win a race. He was, you know, doing a semi-decent job um, in what was otherwise a pretty terrible car. So to me, you know, this, for it to be worse than that is for him to not be able to win, which I still will talk about later, I'm sure. I feel like, you know, it's still possible. But yeah, overall, as a whole weekend, this was definitely the worst. And then when you look at his teammates' performance, like we've been talking about throughout this show, George, he qualified outside the top 10 and was able to make his way to P4. So, you know, in the same car, mind you. So how can he pull off those overtakes and side through the field when, you know, seven-time world champion is unable to, despite 12 months ago being able to in the old Mercedes Tom, your thoughts on that? Is he, are you of a similar vein to Jared or have you got a contrasting view? No, um, I largely agree with, 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 what, with what Jared said, to be honest. And for, for a man who normally chats an awful lot on this podcast, I don't have an awful lot to add to that. <laughs> yeah, Stop yeah. the presses, Tom's no, finally, no, yeah. We finally stumped him. <laughs> you broke me. Um, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, he's, yeah, it's just, um, uh, I think, I think Jared, you sounded perfectly about being able to Last year he was able to side through the field, and this year he's just he just can't get there. Maybe it's good for F1 that we're having a change of the guard at the top because I think a lot of people felt a bit like this in 2013, going into 2014, when Vettel had been had those four pretty damn dominant years. I mean, 2012, yeah, okay, not as much, but you know he won four titles on the bounce, um, and you know maybe it's good for F1 to have a shake up and. Have you know have have another team at the top and uh, you know and that's the thing when you get to the top, there's only one way to go and that's down. So you know maybe something for driver and team. Yeah, I mean to to to, to quote the oracle, everything that has a beginning has an end, and uh, yeah. certainly uh, the the end will come for Mercedes and Hamilton at some point. It's just is it now? Is it a year's time? Is it five years time? Who knows? I mean we see how long Alonso's going on for, so it, it could well be that he is still here in his forties when he said he would never be racing into his forties. But mm-hmm. it just depends where the motivation comes from, I suppose. But from what was um, widely believed to be his low point of the season, we head to Miami and Mercedes. Mercedes finally starts to bring a couple of a trickle in a couple of updates, not as much as they expected to for, for you know for cost cap reasons and trying to make sure they did the right thing. But the, the car definitely seemed to be better. It actually topped a practice session with George Russell and seemed to get on top of the car. Hamilton certainly looking strong, but once again behind George at the flag. Improvement or a bit of a false dawn? Do you think, guys? 
I would um, say. Sorry, go on, Jared. Uh, yeah, probably a bit of a false dawn in my eyes. You know, he qualified ahead of George, but then in the race ended up behind him again with a safety car. You know, it's just, it's becoming a bit comical. Uh, that. But also take, they were able to... Milan that just doesn't like him. <laughs> <laughs> um, he wants to be the top Mercedes driver this year, does Bert Milan. Yeah, you know, also getting that extra place because of his old teammate Valtteri Bottas making the error on the restart. I think that kind of helped their cause in a little bit. So, yeah, you know, it's 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 a points-paying finish. That That's all I can say about Miami for them, Tom. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I also think um, Miami was a bit of a false dawn. And I also think that, you know, much like... Um, much, much like when people were saying that, um, that oh, that Hamilton's back and Mercedes are back and all the rest of it. It's like no, they've just they've made some improvements and Miami was a bit of an equaliser because teams didn't have any previous data from running there, so they didn't know how how well they were or were not going to go. So it's uh, yeah, um, Miami was obviously an improvement, but it still didn't. It still doesn't take away from the fundamental issues that are going on at Mercedes at the moment and fundamental issues that Hamilton is having. I honestly don't think Hamilton uh, is, is, is going to have a really good result this year. I really don't. Um, and I think if he was going to come anyway, it would have come in Spain. And the, and the recent run of races, I think, is just proved, you know, has effectively proved my point. Yeah, certainly looking at as I'm sure when we get to Monaco, we'll discuss the uh, you know the, the crazy races and, and lucking into a good result, but uh, or certainly lucking, but getting that you know that that little spark of of something to grab onto and how it hasn't really happened yet. Um, I do think that Miami was was a definite positive for Mercedes, but still qualifying eight tenth of a second off off Charles Leclerc and the Ferrari, it, it certainly wasn't a um, what wasn't a Mercedes are back when they're nearly a second off the pace. It's just more a case of that. They were clearly the third best team. Um, I, I think, yeah, he seems to have the measure of George Russell all weekend, but, you know, through, through luck or judgment or, you know, however you want to judge it, still ended up behind him at the flag and it just keeps happening. And as you say, you make your own luck in Formula One and he doesn't, uh, he's certainly not getting that luck. Whereas, you know, in past years, he potentially has has had that. Not saying that his uh, his championships are lucky because, you know, if you change one one result in one race in three seasons, then he's a 10 time world champion. So it's uh, it, you can you can look at it two ways. Yes, he's been lucky at times, but other times he's definitely been very unlucky. And weirdly, he doesn't tend to win on finales that are that are to be decided on that day. Uh, it's only really 2008, 2014 when he's when he's really uh, and he's really taken the championship during a finale in 2014. Although he was winning the race, Rosberg did have technical issues as well. So it's um, it's, it's very much bouncing backwards and forwards for, for Hamilton. It's difficult to see where it's going to come from, where it's going to change around. But I'm the one myself who's now lost for words, Tom, because I've kind of like ran, ran out of things to say on, on this subject. It's, uh, it, I'm just completely confused by the whole situation, to be honest. It's, uh, it's, it's not really where I expected Mercedes to be this year. No, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't think any of us expected Mercedes to be where they are. I think it's one of those ones where we knew there was going to be a change at the top, there was going to be a change at the guard. But I think a lot of people still expected Mercedes to be there or thereabouts, or, you know, cer- certainly running close. But no, they're, they're just, they're just, they're not anywhere. And 
it's, you know, it is, it's, you know, it, in some ways it's a shame, obviously, but, you know, you know, because, because you never really want to see anyone doing badly unless they're Mazepin, you know, so seeing him getting put out of F1 was hilarious, but you, you, you know, so I, you know, and just for the record, I'm not sitting here saying, Oh, <laughs> Hamilton's not in the top car. <laughs> I love Max. <laughs> I'm not sitting here doing that at all. Far from it. Not out loud um, anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. So yeah. What I do when we stop recording is a different story. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. No, no, no. It's it's not so much a fall from grace, and I just don't want it to turn into a Sebastian Vettel situation where he sort of loiters around F1 for for a while, somewhat clinging on to his past success. You know, maybe maybe he should quit whilst he's still somewhat ahead I think it's, it would be difficult for him to quit now yeah. given the, how the season's gone I think he would he would definitely want to have another reprieve at least a shot at a championship before he retired he's got another year on his contract maybe if the car is nowhere next year then maybe he thinks that that's enough uh, I, I part of me thinks he'll retire at the end of next season anyway but uh, we'll look at the, um, at the at the Spanish Grand Prix it was um uh, only one position higher finished than Miami, but a completely different race in in some ways. You know, some people say it's it's the performance of the season. Uh, is that accurate, or is it just just wishful thinking, guys? Definitely, um, like we said earlier, performance of the season. I think you know, had he not had that first lap uh, incident with Kevin Magnussen there at turn four, what could the race had looked like for him, you know, certainly he had the race pace akin to the front runners. Um, he had to give up P4 because uh, the car was overheating and, um, you know, just had to cool it down towards the end of the race and still come home with uh, P5. But, um, I mean, you'd expect that. You'd expect a good result from Hamilton around a circuit that he had won the last five Grand Prix in a row there and he's been you know, everyone tests there every year and they have lots of experience and especially someone like Hamilton will have more experience than others on the grid at that particular circuit. So you would have expected that he would at least have the upper hand over his teammate at that track. Um, but it was good. It was good to see him come through the field. You know, it's what we would have liked to have seen at Imola, for example, but it didn't happen. But yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, keeps going up and down up and down you know one one race is good one race is not so you know is it just is it at are they at a stage where they have to kind of just set their expectation for the season and say look you know if we target this every race then at least we can't be too disappointed you know i don't know what their what their internal targets are or if they're thinking that you know we're going to find the silver bullet every weekend and and we'll be back up there or whatever like they they're comfortably in third in the championship so why not just you know continue to protect that you know if ferrari have some kind of catastrophic end to the season then sure they can catch up and finish second i wouldn't put it past ferrari to implode that way to be honest because that's what they do but i wrote after Imola um, about Mercedes in general saying that it looks bad from the outside, but there's no need to push the panic button yet because they have the team and the culture in that team that knows, 
you know, how to win and they've been winning for a very long time. They've had people leave, but, you know, there's always someone who steps up. You know, everyone thought after Paddy Lowe left that, oh, you know, that's it, you know, is this the end or whatever, and in comes James Allison and then they only got better. Um, and even when Andy Cowell left from from Bricksworth from the uh, engine program, you know, they thought that that would be it too. Shorts, you know, kind of ties in with what's happened this season so far but I feel like you know they're still they're still up there you know they still are competitive so it's not it's not looking too bad for them so they have the team and the culture to rebound it's about what kind of expectations they set you know Mercedes as a team will have to think about you know their long term as opposed to oh you know can we deliver Hamilton an eighth title um, which, you know, I'm sure they would love to, uh, Toto Wolf would love to as well, but, you know, Hamilton will have to see as well that, you know, if he truly loves this team and wants to, you know, see the best for his team is how can I contribute to ensuring that you guys are going to be successful in the long term, you know. Imagine leaving it in a rabble, for example, you know, and then Mercedes kind of fade into obscurity and um, that's the end of it, you know. Like we said earlier too, you don't want to see him in a situation where he ends up like Sebastian Vettel, who we're positive he's never going to win a championship again. But just the last few years, it's it's kind of it's very mediocre what's going on at Aston Martin. I look at other motorsport icons, you know, likes of Valentino Rossi, his final few seasons in MotoGP, and this is still the rider that is associated with being the greatest of all time, yet it was absolute, absolute, you know, disgraceful the last couple of seasons that he was riding on the bike. I do not want to see someone like Lewis Hamilton. Like, I'm not a big fanboy or, you know, I'll, you know, buy all his merchandise and, you know, Team LH or whatever, but I respect him enough not to want to see him kind of have that end to his career like, you know, some world-class athletes do where they just, you know, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, and it's it just it's embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. As someone who's followed Lewis Hampton's career since he first signed that McLaren contract way back when he was, what, 12, 13 or whatever it was, it's, uh, it's as I said earlier, it's going to come to an end at some point, and uh, I think that it's he's certainly coming to, to an end sooner rather than later, but... Uh, on the back of the Spain result, though, I was really positive and I, and I could genuinely see Mercedes challenging Ferrari for second in the championship just because that they just are nowhere near as operationally sharp as Red Bull. And you look at the, the seasons where Ferrari had a car that looked like they could have challenged Hamilton uh, for the championship you just get the feeling that if that had been Max Verstappen and that had been Red Bull, then they would have potentially got a couple of championships under the belt. Even if you saw, you know, Lewis Hamilton in that Ferrari team, you think that maybe he would have got it over the line, um, given that he would have kind of driven the team in, in, in that direction and, and, and got the team over the line. And I just think that Ferrari as as a whole, certainly when they had Vettel there, were just not operationally sharp enough to win a championship at the moment. So I think it's very much Red Bulls to lose this season. It's just a case, can you know, is that going to buoy is that going to buoy Hamilton on to, to be chasing after Ferrari for second for the team, even if George Russell is, is way ahead in the championship? Is he going to be fighting for, is he going to be like motivated enough to try and do that for the team and, and play the team game? Or, or are we writing him off for passing George Russell too soon? What do you think, Tom? I think Hamilton is going to have to play the team game because F1 is ultimately a team sport. 
And yes, I know we have a World Drivers uh, Championship, of which he has received seven, obviously. He's not going to get an eighth this year, barring some sort of weird glitch in the Matrix or some, you know, if, if Red Bull and Mercedes, uh, sorry, if Red Bull and Ferrari pack up and leave, which I don't think will happen, let's be fair, no matter how many times they threaten it. He, he's, I think maybe Hamilton's realised that he's got a teammate within this year who is is not just going to be a rear gunner, going to be a yes man, going to be a, uh, I'll let Lewis buy or all the rest of it. I think, he, I think this is the first time since, well, what, what, when Rosberg was there, that he's had a teammate who can really challenge him, who is giving him a run for his money and then some in qualifying, in race results, in strategy, in pace, in everything. Because that's be fair, Bottas never really had to measure Hamilton. He did on the odd weekend. You know, he had some weekends or some qualities or some races where he was quicker and he was good. But Russell is different gravy. You know, he's been a member of the Mercedes Driver Academy and, you know, they've let, Mercedes have let a few people go from that academy. People like Pascal Wehrlein, Esteban Ocon, Stoffel van Dorn. I don't think he's in anymore. And it's like, you know, it's, they've kept Russell, you know, you know, they kept him warm in F1 for three years. They gave him that drive in Sakia 2020. And, and you know, and it, you know, you know, it's like uh, maybe Hamilton's realised that he's up against something different in George Russell. He's not going to be able to uh, to say, "Oh, come on, George, out the way. I want to come through." I think he's realised that it's going to be a case of, "Oh, I've actually got to fight on track for him, or I've got to try and do him a strategy or whatever." And and, uh, and yes, he's not going to catch Russell in the championship pending some freak results or something. I really don't think that's going to happen. So this year, I think he's got to settle for for the team player role, you know, for, excuse me, for, for coming home in sixth, seventh, eighth, or wherever. His season this year, or for the rest of this year, is about getting what's best for the team. And that's making sure that they're keeping tabs on Ferrari. Because we all know Ferrari, they're going to pull another Monaco in a few races, and they're going to, cost themselves a load of points and if Mercedes can keep on top of that they can just keep squeezing that gap they can just keep tabs on them and then then there's a possibility they may nick second in, in the constructors if, you know, if Ferrari go full Ferrari on the flip side who's fourth at the minute it's McLaren I think isn't it but yeah you, the mind before yeah but I was looking at it, and McLaren haven't even got 100 points, I don't think, or they, might, or they might have just ticked over now as of Monaco. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm fairly certain there was a pretty significant yeah. points difference between them and Mercedes. McLaren have 59 points. There we go. And Mercedes, what, 130-odd, I think? 134 mm-hmm. to Ferrari's 199. Exactly, yeah. So they're more likely to catch Ferrari than they are to lose some McLaren behind them. Yeah, so especially that needs, to have a quicker car as well. Exactly, yeah. That needs to be their focus, and that's what Hamilton's focus needs to be. I know it's not what he's used to from the past best part of a decade, but times are changing, and it's what it is. Yeah, I think the the one the one positive that Hamilton has got on his side, we're a third of the way through the season, and obviously he's 34 points behind his teammate, which is a massive gap when you're fighting for fifth and sixth place. If you're fighting for wins, you can turn that over in two races. But if Mercedes do get that car together, he's got two-thirds of a season to chip away at that lead. If, that's it, if that car is getting podiums, he'll erode that gap in a couple of races. But if it stays in the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth positions, then it's going to take him a long time to catch George because he's not going to beat him every race. Uh, I do think he can still 
over the course of the season beat George Russell. George Russell's going to have a down patch at some point this season. He's going to have a couple of bad races. At the moment, everything's fallen his way and he is obviously driving incredibly well as well. He's He's got to grips with that car very quickly. But I, I do think that it, there's going to be a time when Hamilton is going to get his line share of the luck and he is going to start to reel George in. Whether you know, he's got a huge head start now, George, can he hold on? I, I think he can. Whether he will, I, I, I'm not sure. It very much depends on, on Mercedes' performance. If Mercedes sack off the season and say, that's it, we'll try next season, I think that's the final nail in the coffin for Hamilton versus his teammate. But if they push ahead and are able to challenge for podiums on a regular basis, then potentially, uh, I mean, it might go the other way. It may mean that Russell finishes even further ahead. But uh, it just means there's, if there's more points on offer, there's more chance to catch. After the huge positivity of the Spanish Grand Prix weekend, we headed into Monaco last weekend and um, high hopes for Mercedes actually challenging for for something better than uh, the, than what they have been pushing for but an 8th place in qualifying and an 8th place race finish changeable conditions you'd have thought would have really favoured Hamilton for a better result than where he started but it just, just wasn't to be was it this weekend? No and it seemed like the issues that they thought that they fixed with the upgrades in Barcelona uh, chiefly the porpoising actually resurfaced so it begs you to ask the question whether the um upgrades that they bought was it you know more like a band-aid for those problems on specific circuits and then at, at other circuits you know low speed corners and whatnot they're still suffering with this issue so it seemed again that Hamilton was more hurt by it than his teammate was so that you know explained the deficit there in qualifying and then we all know Monaco basically where you qualify is kind of where you're going to finish and you know the fact that he was one of the advocates of, you know, in future races possibly, you know, making mandatory two stop, uh, two pit stops or whatever, or, you know, making some track changes to allow more overtaking. You know, he's seen um, over the past two seasons what it feels like to race at Monaco in the in the kind of midfield where, you know, not much really happens during the race. But, um, you know, he was caught in that battle with Esteban Ocon there at turn one. Ocon coming off worse, I guess, with the, with the penalty and then basically getting stuck behind the Fernando Alonso train for the rest of the race. Um, and, you know, the way Alonso slowed the rest of the race down for anyone behind him basically um, hurt Hamilton's chances of uh, possibly finishing ahead. So, you know, again, just the car problems still can't get on top of that, which is uh, difficult. <laughs> and then, you know, just bad circumstances uh, with getting stuck behind slower drivers in the race. Yeah. Anything to add on that, Tom? I, com- I just completely agree with everything you've said there, to be honest. Uh, not really. Again, um, you know, that you know, was that was just some sort of pretty nicely. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It's a you, you know how many times have we seen Hamilton do well in the wet, and you know he's put in some of the absolute worldy wet weather drives that we've seen over the years. Um, I know Monaco is obviously a different circuit to do it around. Don't get me wrong, but. Um, but how many times have we seen Hamilton pull some absolute master strokes in the wet? I asked not the other day what you think is the best wet weather drives are, and Hamilton's thing came up an awful lot. Um, you know, so it was, you would have thought if anybody could, could have done something in the wet at that point, it would have been him. But alas, it was not to be. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, and yeah, you know, for everything that went on in that race, 
for him to finish where he started, given the changeable conditions, you know, you know, given the pit stop gambles, all, all the rest of it. It, you know, it was, it, it was one of those ones where if he'd have made up places, you know, you either through switching to switching straight to slicks at the right time or switching to inters and then and then you know, sort of wearing them right down. Um, especially gambling on, especially, you know, if, if he would have gambled on a safety car, um, so so he would have stayed on those inters that would have worn down and then put a fresh set of tyres on in the, in, in the red flag. That's the kind of thing where we would have said, oh, that's a vintage Hamilton performance. Um, but I didn't see any of that. I mean, granted, we didn't see much of him Anyway, because Monaco TV direction leaves a lot to be desired, to say the least. But yeah, you know, it was a, it was like of of all the races where he could have, could have, would have, should have done something, nothing happened, and he didn't make up any ground. Yeah, I think the team potentially could have been a bit more nimble with what they were looking at doing. And you know, that to be said, Hamilton, it's in, those, in those conditions, you'd expect Hamilton to be pushing for, for different decisions and, and just to try something different to get him out there in free air. And certainly, if the race had have started when it was when it was supposed to start with the initial delay, he was starting on intermediates. He was the highest driver starting on intermediates. So we could well have seen him in a position where he was leading the race before a red flag, inevitable red flag when the heavens opened horrendously um on the, on what would have been about lap three and it could have been a completely different race it could have been a, a red flag there strap on the strap on the wets go on to the end of the race and then you know all of a sudden we're looking at a lewis hamilton win in in monaco and these are these are the fine margins that we're seeing but this was the one weekend monaco where george russell just seemed to absolutely just have something over lewis hamilton it's the first time i've seen it there's always been reasons behind it or, you know, um, potentially um, excuses as to why Hamilton hasn't been on, on a par with Russell. But this was the first weekend for me where Russell arrived and said, I am every bit as good as Lewis Hamilton. And it's certainly after a little bit of positivity following Spain, it's, it's put a, it's put us in this position where we've got to ask the question. So based on that, I'm going to ask both of you three questions and I just want a yes or no answer. Uh, and then we can go into a bit more detail after that. So the first question to ask, ask you both, Jared, ask you first, will Hamilton win a race this year? Yes. Tom? No. Wow. Okay. Split, split panel. Uh, will he beat his teammate this year? Jared? No. And Tom? No. And will he ever win another title, Jared? No. And Tom? Sadly. <laughs> no. So it's pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty damning panel then. It's uh, definitely in, uh, in, in agreement, you guys. Um, I, I, for one, think he, I think he will win a race this year. I don't think he'll beat his teammate. And I'm so on the fence about the the title but i've said myself have to give a yes or no so i'm going to go with no as well on that one and it really pains me to say that but um just to go into a bit more detail on that then any kind of closing thoughts on 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 hamilton and, and the season start with you jared anything else you want to add or any any reasons or anything to kind of <laughs> just uh look i i still think you know he has that competitive nature in him to to still be able to win races and you know, add to that immaculate record of wins that he's got, you know, the only driver who's reached a century of wins and in pole positions as well. And I don't think that's going to be a record that's going to get touched for a while yet. So, you know, you can feel safe in that respect. But I feel like with all these new young drivers that we're seeing 
spearheading these teams such as Ferrari and Red Bull, McLaren, if they can get their act together as well over the coming years with Lando. Um, it's It almost makes someone like Hamilton look like a dinosaur. I don't feel like he's going to do a Nigel Mansell. I don't think he can do a Nigel Mansell in this era and come back and win, win a title um, at the age he did in, in 92. So it's that whole thing I was saying earlier about, you know, this is a team that he's that has given him a lot and he's given a lot to as well in terms of success. How does he protect that for the future? You know, and that's what I mean about, you know, um, helping him set set up for, for future seasons and kind of put his teammate George Russell in a position where he can be the next spearhead, kind of pass that baton on rather than being um, a salty hermit and be like, nah, I'm done. That's me out. And then not have anything to do with it. So I don't think Hamilton is that kind of person. We see the impact that he has off track as well on the sport and outside of it with his diversity and equality push as well. So there's a lot for Hamilton to still achieve. And for me, winning another title is not going to, you know, change what I think of him. It's not going to make him any better in my eyes because I already think I already have such high respect for him. It's not going to also make him any lower. I mean, it will make all those Schumacher fans pretty happy that, you know, that record is not has not been broken at least. But, you know, he's still going to be one of the greatest drivers of all time. So that's that's where I'm going to end that one on, I think. Yeah, in in my mind, Hamilton already has more legitimate championships than Schumacher, but that's a whole debate for a different for a different day. Uh, Tom, your closing thoughts on Hamilton? Right, listen, Lewis Hamilton is one of the best drivers this sport has ever seen. There is no questioning that. Yes, he has quite often had good machinery underneath him, but so have other drivers who have failed to do what he has done with the cars they've got. It took Nico Rosberg three seasons to beat him and Nico retired off the back of it because he was so mentally done. Bottas couldn't get near him in, what, four or five seasons. He won the floor with Hecky Kovalainen in, in 2008. Because you know, after after Hecky won a race, um, his race engineer said, welcome to the world of winning uh, Hecky, many more to come. Lol, no hun. 2009, with absolute dog of McLaren, he still won. He should have won in 2007, but team strategy somewhat cost him when he pulled into the pits um, because they should have pitted him for, for those tyres and he went off into the gravel. His engine blew up in Malaysia in 2016, somewhat cost him the title that year, but you know, also you know, 2016, you know, Rosberg was in him up there. Hamilton has beaten more records and set more records than I've had hot dinners. And I've had a lot of hot dinners. Look at me, um, you know. You, you know, he's a, you know, he's the only driver to have won over a ton over um, a century of races, like Jared said. He's the only driver to have set more than one hundred pole position uh, laps. You, you know, he set more pole positions for Mercedes than Schumacher did in Schumacher's entire career. Now I know we have more races this season now, but we haven't always. You know, it's only in the last sort of, what, five, six years that we started going out to sort of like 18, 19, 20 races a season. Let's not forget 2020 was, what, a 16, 17 race season. Thanks, COVID. Um, so, so, so you know, yes, there's some, the stats may be somewhat artificially inflated by that, but it also says that he was able to hold that mentality and to keep going for, for such a level for such a time. Hamilton yeah. has, ha, sorry, Hamilton has done so much for the sport in terms of his racing, his 
you know, he's brought people into the sports. You know, he's brought so many sponsors uh, into the sports and he's just become a big name in the sport. A lot of people like to hate him and I can see why people don't like him. I'm not particularly fond of him, but you cannot take away just how good a driver he is. He still is. And, you know, he set records, which... I don't think we'll be broken for a long time. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I completely agree in, in, in a lot of ways. Not of everything, but uh, in, in a lot of ways, I, I agree with you. And I, and I know it's probably pained you to be so positive about the man this on this episode, Tom, so not, I appreciate no, no, it. No, 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 <laughs> seriously, not at all. And like I said, when I said I would do this one, is everything I've said today, I wholeheartedly mean, and I stand by. Yes, I'm not a Hamilton fan. We know that. I find him quite grating, but that does not distract from how good a driver he is and, and the incredible unrivaled success he has achieved in motorsport for such a long time. So, I mean, our panelists are in agreement. Uh, and as, as Tom said, you know, it's uh, everyone has, has their opinion. So we'd love to hear what you think. And, you know, the beauty of global sports is that everyone has an opinion and yours is no less valid than, than ours. So drop us a comment if you agree or disagree with us and why. We love reading your comments, uh, but just please keep them respectful. Everyone is entitled to their own opinion. And, uh, and, we, and again, we love to hear from it. That is it for us for today. So you can follow us at F1 Chronicle and I'm at Tom Horrocks F1 if you want to follow me. Jawad, tell us more about hit the apex podcast yep so you can follow uh my podcast on twitter at hit the apex media it's available on all good podcast platforms such as itunes spotify google um and on youtube as well so do check it out we've got to have my monaco episode up hopefully tomorrow or friday so yeah check it out and Tom, where can people hear more from you? So, if if you really want to hear more of me, uh, as brave of you, but you could, but I'm part of everythingf1.com. So there's obviously that aforementioned domain. We have the Everything F1 podcast, which goes out on Wednesday. So when it came out today, actually, it was it was a it was a it was a Monaco review that some of my colleagues did. Also, we have our social platforms. So we have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter youtube we have a discord server we have tiktok because apparently that's the thing not that you'll find me on any of those do you not do uh, any dances on it or anything no but someone did actually do it in front of my car so i beeped the horn at them and they dropped their phone which is quite amusing um <laughs> which is a very 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 me thing to do oh, um, so evil yeah i know yeah i'm completely evil <laughs> get off my bonnet then it's not your car um <laughs> yeah no, you can find us across all our social platforms the handle is either at join um, EF1 or, or just uh, everything if you search everything if you'll find us yes I think that's everything you can find our podcast on basically all, all your favourite podcasting platforms so uh, so Spotify Apple Podcasts uh, Pocket Cast which I use myself Amazon Carrier Pigeon our websites pretty much anywhere you can think of Fantastic. Well, today has been really great fun, even if it does feel like a bit of the beginning of the end of a wonderful career for one of my favourite drivers of all time. Not my favourite, that's always going to be Ayrton Senna, but uh, but Lewis certainly up there with that. Thank you very much to our audience for listening to us and watching us on YouTube as well. We will be back this weekend, Saturday, I believe, with our preview of the Azerbaijan Grand Prix in, uh, in Baku. So we look forward to seeing you then. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>